doing well, enjoying the beautiful weather. As you can see, I enjoyed the beautiful weather a little bit too much. Uh, yesterday, you can call me Pastor Lobster if you want, and that would be quite fitting. If you're cold, you could just warm up on my head. Um, I want to start off this morning by telling you a story about a man named James Smith. James Smith is a graduate of Boston College. He spent almost all of his life growing up in the Boston area. He's a huge Boston Celtics fan. He has Boston Celtics memorabilia all over his house. He has, he's a Boston Celtics season ticket holder. He's a retired engineer, and he actually spent most of his working career working in a factory just outside of Boston where he focused on quality control in the company. His wife's name is Susan. Uh, she's also retired. She was a high school principal's secretary for most of her life. They like to go to where it's warm in the winter, and actually they spend most of the winter months on cruises. They love going on cruise ships. James loves seafood. Um, he likes making a difference in his community. He volunteers at his church's after-school program. James also has a brand-new Toyota Avalon. It's his first brand-new vehicle, and he's Super excited about it. He'd be sure to tell you about all the features in this Toyota Avalon. He's the kind of guy that helps snowblow his neighbor's driveway when there's a big storm, and he's up north in Boston. He'll be out there helping his neighbor. He's got a 14 by 20 foot front yard, and this grass is like his little slice of heaven. Like He is meticulous about caring for this grass. In fact, he cuts the edges with a pair of scissors. He's that serious about his front yard. He sits on the front porch often with his, his wife. They have rocking chairs, and they sit out on the front porch, and they watch kids play in the neighborhood. Now, James Smith, this man that I'm telling you about, I actually don't know him at all. Um, I've never met him. I just know some stuff about him. And the reason I know some stuff about him is I Googled what the most famous name in the United States was, and it turns out James Smith is at the top of the list. So then I went to, to Facebook, and I started looking for someone named James Smith, who didn't have their uh, security settings super high so I could see some of the stuff that they posted. I know it's a little creepy and weird, but actually all this stuff that I learned about this man, James Smith, I learned on his Facebook wall. So everything that I told you, I learned about him on Facebook. And that's kind of the end of the story about James Smith. That was the only point to that story, was to tell you about this guy that I don't really know. Now, I don't know him at all. I've never sat down with him. I've never had coffee with him and asked him what it was like to go from working every day of his life seemingly to retired. I haven't sat down with him and asked him how his marriage is doing or how his kids are doing or what's going on in his life. I've actually never met him at all. I just know some stuff about him. And actually, I was able to learn a shocking amount of information about him just from stalking him on Facebook. But... I don't actually know him at all. I know a lot about him, but I don't know him at all. And I get a little concerned sometimes that our relationship with God is a little bit like my relationship with James Smith, where we know a lot about him. We know a lot of information about God. We've learned a lot of information about him, but we actually don't have much actual relationship with him. We don't have much intimacy in relationship with him. Today we're starting a series called I Am, and in this series we're going to look at the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Bible, some of the most famous words that Jesus said. And just so you know up front what my objective is in this series, 
I am not looking for you to learn some more information about this man named Jesus. It's my goal that when we get to the end of this series, your relationship with Jesus will be more real than it's ever been before. It'll be deeper than it's been before. It'll be more authentic than it's ever been before. I'm not looking just to give you more information about this man named Jesus. My goal is that you'll actually know him more. Amen? So we're going to start reading, and today we're going to look at the I Am statement where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, kind of fitting on this communion Sunday. We're going to start off in John chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 through 34, or 35. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There's three things that I want you guys to see in this portion of Scripture. The first one is that Jesus exposes the real need. This is in verse 25 and 26. He says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where When did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. This is a really interesting interaction between Jesus and these people because they come to him and they ask a question. They said, when did you get here? And Jesus answers their question. He says, you're only here because you're looking for bread. Now, in this conversation, there's actually a lot of backstory that if you don't understand the backstory, this conversation might seem a little weird and confusing. So I want to give you a little bit of the backstory to help you understand what's going on here. So the backstory on this conversation actually starts all the way back in the second book of the Bible, in Exodus. In Exodus, there's this tyrant. His name is Pharaoh, and he's got God's people under his thumb. He's a horrible leader. He's got them enslaved, and he's beating them, and they're living a horrible life. And God sends his man named Moses to come and to help deliver God's people. So as Moses comes, there's these crazy plagues that happen on the earth. Pharaoh's like losing his mind. And then Moses comes, and he gets these million people that need to be rescued, and he brings them out from Egypt. And they're headed towards the promised land, which is this paradise that God had made for his people. And they're on their way out. Then they get out into the wilderness. Then we get to Exodus 15, and they're on this journey to the promised land. 
Exodus 15, we find these million people singing this song, and it's called the Song of Moses. It's a song about how God had rescued them and delivered them and brought them out of Egypt, and they're headed to this promised land. It's like a song of gratitude to God. And then just one chapter later in Exodus 16, they're singing a new song now, but this song is totally different. It's a song about how God has deserted them, how God has left them for dead in the wilderness, about how they used to have this food back in Egypt, and now they're here and they're starving. So God hears their song and he hears their cry, and he provides bread from heaven for them. And this bread is called manna. So God gives them manna, and every day they wake up with fresh bread from heaven. I don't know about you, but carbs from heaven sounds pretty heavenly, like (laughs) carbs from earth, they're good, but I don't even know about carbs from heaven. I'm sure I'd be a big fan. So they have bread from heaven every single day, except for the sixth day. On the sixth day, God sends twice as much bread so they can have enough, enough bread to take a Sabbath and to rest, and they don't have to work on that day. And he does this for 40 years. Like, he's just providing bread after bread after bread from heaven. He's God's basically a bread maker with his life now. Like, just giving them this bread. Then we fast forward a couple thousand years, about 2,000 years later. And now there's these prophets that are prophesying about this coming king. And they're telling us that this coming king is going to bring fresh bread from heaven. It's kind of hearkening back to this earlier story about when, the, when God's people were in the wilderness being fed this fresh bread, and they're prophesying about this new coming Messiah who's going to come and bring them fresh bread. Fast forward another couple hundred years later, and now we're at the time of this story. Jesus is walking on earth. There's 15,000 people that are gathered to hear Jesus preach. There's not enough food to feed everyone. There's one kid with a Scooby-Doo lunchbox. He's got a couple pieces of bread and some fish. Jesus opens the lunch box, multiplies the bread. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy. These people are eating fresh bread from heaven. And you would think that they would come and they would, they know this backstory. Like this is not news to them. And you would think they would come and this is the Messiah, the one who was prophesied of. And our ancestors got fresh bread from heaven. Now we get fresh bread from heaven. This is, this is the Christ. You think they would come and worship him. But they come to him and they're like, hey, uh, do you have any more bread? They don't worship him. They don't come and see him as Messiah. They come and they see him as a bread maker. And then Jesus responds in verse 26 and 27. He says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed or not because you realized I'm the Messiah, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Another way you could say what Jesus is saying here is your perceived need is not your actual need. Your perceived need, what you think you need, is not what you actually need. These people are looking at Jesus, and they remember the story about how God provided bread from heaven from 40 years, and they're thinking to themselves, our our ancestors ate for free, we're about to get a free meal ticket, like this is going to be awesome, I could retire, I could just do a little fishing off the beach, get some fish, and then I got this bread, I can live the beach retired life, and Jesus is like, hold hold on, like 
that's not what this is about. Like, we'll have beach days and we'll have bread days, but that's not what this is about. There's so much more. What you think you need is not actually what you need. And we tend to do the same thing. We come to God with what we perceive our needs are. We come to God and we say, if I could just have the job that I wanted, or if I could just get the house that I wanted, then I'd be happy. If I could just get some hunting land, please, Lord, just give me some hunting land, then I'd be happy. If I could have the spouse that I wanted, or if I could get rid of this spouse that I have, like then I would be happy. Or if my parents weren't so crazy and just understood me and didn't have all these rules, then I would be happy. We come to Jesus with all these needs and we say, Jesus, this is what I need. And Jesus says the same thing to us that he said to these people. He said, what you think you need isn't actually what you need. You need something deeper, something greater. And as it turns out, Jesus has that thing that we need. The Greek language is much more vast than the English language. And oftentimes, we'll have one word that can communicate a ton of different things. And for people that are learning English, this can be like super confusing. Whereas in Greek, they usually have different words for those two different things. So I'll give you an example. I could come to you in a panic and I could say, is she alive? Or I could come to you and I could say, hey, how's life? And those, both of those words, alive and life, have the same root word. Whereas in Greek, those are two totally different words. One of the words for life that is used in Greek is the word bios. And bios refers to our physical life, our, our material needs that we have in life. This word is used in Luke chapter 8. There's a woman who's sick. Probably you'll remember this story. And the Bible says she went to doctor after doctor, and she spent all of her bios on doctors, or all of her life on doctors, meaning all of her money, all of her physical things that she needed for life. She spent all of that on doctors trying to find a solution to her sickness. And there's another word for life used in the scriptures, and that's the word zoe. That word is used in Romans chapter 6. Paul uses it when he says, We have been buried with Christ and made to walk in newness of life, or newness of zoe. And this word zoe refers to our spiritual life. It's our eternal life. It's, our, it's the part of us that needs God, the part of us that was designed in our hearts for God. So here these people are coming to Jesus, and they're asking Jesus, for, to meet their physical need, to meet their need, their hunger, their need for life. And I would expect Jesus to use the word bios here, but instead, Jesus uses the word zoe. In other words, he says, you have a hunger that transcends your physical hunger. You have a hunger inside of you that's deeper than your need for bread. You're asking me for physical bread, but actually there's a place inside of you that's hungry and screaming to be fed, not for physical bread, but for spiritual bread. We have a hunger inside of us that oftentimes we, we perceive as a physical hunger. And we go looking for all kinds of stuff to fill that hunger that we have inside. We chase things like success, or relationships, or experiences, or money, or pleasure, or whatever else you chase with your life, looking for fulfillment, looking for joy, looking for contentment. 
But those things don't satisfy. Those things end up leaving us empty and dry so many times. You guys know this is true. How many of you have had something you've wanted in your life, something you looked forward to that you thought was going to be so satisfying, only to get the thing and to find out that it wasn't satisfying like you hoped it would be? When I was a kid, um, my brother and I, we had something that we wanted really, really badly. We wanted a four-wheeler. And we were convinced that there was a show on Saturday mornings called Sports Track TV, and we would watch it. And these people looked like they were having so much fun on these four-wheelers. And so we'd ask our dad for a four-wheeler, and he would say, like, no, I don't think we're going to get a four-wheeler. And we'd say, Dad, come on, like, the Evanses have a four-wheeler. Like, Ralph loves his son. Like, don't you love us? Like, he loves his kid. And what was amazing was it worked. Like, my dad never caved on anything my whole life. But this one time he caved, and he bought us a four-wheeler. And man, we tore up a lot of ground with that four-wheeler. Like, we had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, it was fun. But it didn't satisfy us in the way that we thought it would. It eventually lost its luster. It didn't bring fulfillment to our lives in the way that we just knew that it would. And all of us can have experienced this in our life. We have something we're looking forward to, and it's going to be the thing that's going to finally bring us joy. And then we get it only to find out it doesn't bring us joy in the same way that we thought it did. And this doesn't just happen with kids. Like This happens with adults, too. And it actually happens on an even greater level as adults. Like It happens with zeros on the end. Like Four-wheeler was a couple thousand bucks. Now the house you want is a couple hundred thousand dollars. And the truck you want is now a hundred thousand dollars. Like it's ridiculous what life costs now. We do these things on such a grand scale. In the beginning of 2021, I talked to a guy and uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know he actually moved away. He was talking about moving away. He just said, had it with New York State. said, I hate this state. I hate being under this government. I just can't take it anymore. I'm moving to a free state, he told me. I'm going to Middle Tennessee. Like That is going to be the solution to the, what I feel in life, to being under the thumb of the government here in New York. I'm going to Middle Tennessee. It's going to be great. I'm going to a free state. I saw him a couple weeks ago, and he's back. And I said to him, like, what happened? Like, I thought Middle Tennessee was going to be the source of your life. The, you get away from all your problems and the stuff you hated here. And he said, I got there, and I still had grass to mow, and I had neighbors and life, and I got speeding tickets still, and I got fired from that job that I thought was going to be so great. And now I'm in a, in a place that I'm, I still have the same trouble in my life, but now I just don't have friends and family to walk with me through the trouble that I have. And so we do this, we chase things that we think will satisfy only to get, get the thing and get to the end of it and realize it didn't satisfy. If we're honest, if we're intellectually honest, if we're emotionally honest, if we're spiritually honest, we know that there is a problem inside of us. We know that there's an emptiness inside of us. This is not just true for these people that came to Jesus thousands of years ago. It's true for each one of us, too. We have this problem on the inside. It's not whether or not we agree with Jesus that there's a problem. Like, we know that there's a problem inside of us. The question is, do we agree with Jesus' solution to the problem? Do we agree with Jesus' prescription to the problem? It's so much easier for us to find a solution to the problem that we can control. 
we love to control solutions to problems. Like, we love to be in control, and it's, it can be really hard for us to, to give control up to this God who is not really controllable, and he doesn't really handle us trying to control him super well. He's like, hey, I'm not actually going to do that. Like, I'm not controllable. I'm God, as it turns out, and you're not. We love solutions to problems that we can control. We look at the problem, we say we have too much pressure in life, like the pressure is building in my life, and so I'm going to find a solution in a drink or a drug, or I'm going to eat myself half to death. We look for some solution that we can control, but that solution could end up killing us, and it actually doesn't satisfy in the way that we thought that it would. Or we say, I'm dissatisfied in life, so I'm going to look for satisfaction in lust or experiencing all the pleasures of this world, but in the end, that also leaves us empty and doesn't satisfy. Or we know that we need affirmation, so we seek that out in the opinions of others, and it ends up eating us to death inside. To that, Jesus says, you need a Zoe solution for your Zoe problem. You don't need a physical solution to this spiritual problem. You need a spiritual solution to your spiritual problem. And then in verse 28, so then they ask him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, they gave them, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So here Jesus exposes their need, and they still don't get it. They think they're going to get manna version 2.0. Like, where is this wonder bread, and how do I get my hands on it? And then Jesus exposes their true motivation. Jesus says, you're not here for me. You're here for the benefits you receive from being around me. You're, you're here for what you can get from me, not because you want relationship with me. And that's when they say, what can we do? What's the work that we can do to earn it? Because when you remove relationship with Jesus, all that's left is doing work to earn it. They didn't see Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't want him to be their Messiah. They wanted him to be some deal broker between them and God. So they said, we'll do the work. You go tell God we do the work and then get God to give us the stuff that we want. And Jesus says, you don't get it. You're not coming to me for relationship. You're coming to me for what you can get out of this gig. And I think we run the danger of impersonal routine religion in our life. Showing up to church to check off the box and say that we came to church and we did the church thing and leaving and, and the door shutting behind us and then we go through the rest of our week like Jesus doesn't even exist. Like he's not even real and not even a part of our life. There was a, a missionary in South America 
And he went to South America, and he wanted to reach these people that were outside of this city that he had visited before. He wanted to reach the people out in these, these villages. So he went and he started meeting these people, and he was looking for like an inroad, like how can I meet these, or how can I reach these people for the gospel? As he got to know these people, he realized that their children were dying super young, and they were dying of diseases that nobody died from in the United States. So he started to look into why that was, and he found out the reason they were getting sick and dying was from drinking water that wasn't safe to drink. So he thought to himself, like, just an hour away in the city, they have pure, safe water for free at the center of the city that anybody can drink. I can solve this problem for these people. So he went and he bought a team of horses, and he bought a large wagon, and he bought some 55-gallon drums, and he strapped them down on the wagon, and he would go to the city, and he would fill these jugs up with water, and he would go out to the villages, and he would take them pure water. And it ended up opening the door for him to share the gospel with these people. And the plan worked, and it was amazing. There was people giving their lives to Jesus. And so he started reaching out to further and further villages. One day, he went to the city to get water. He went to the first village. He gave them water. And then he headed to the second village, but he never arrived at the second village. The people, he used to come like clockwork, like 10 o'clock Monday morning, he'd be there. The people were waiting, and he never came. So they thought to himself, well, maybe he ran into something. Maybe he'll come the next day. They waited till the next day. Again, he didn't come. So they said, all right, we got to send out a search party. Like, we got to find out where this guy is. So they go, and they send out a search party, and they find the guy laying in his wagon, half dead, just barely hanging on to life. So they rush him back to the city, to the hospital. But when they got there, it was too late. He was dead when he got to the hospital. They carried his body into the doctors, and they asked the doctors to try and save him, and the doctors said, I'm sorry, it's too late. And the people said, how did our friend die? And the doctor looked at him and said, he died of thirst. He was dehydrated, and he died of thirst. He died of thirst with a wagon full of water. He had everything that he needed for life right behind him on the wagon, but he never drank. He never partook of what he needed for life. If we're into Christianity for the benefits we receive from Christianity, but not because of our relationship with the Christ of Christianity, we will die like this missionary who died with a wagon full of water when water was the only thing he needed. We come to church, we stand when it's time to stand, we even give when it's time to give. We sing when it's time to sing. But do we ever actually drink deeply of Jesus? We come motivated by guilt, motivated by self-righteousness, motivated by friends, motivated by family, but we never taste and see that surely he is good. And this will actually show up in your life in a very specific way. If you wonder if, you're, if this is an issue in your life, it, I can tell you right now if it is or not. It'll show up in a very specific way. It will show up in you having a very, very different public appearance of relationship with Jesus than you do a private reality of relationship with Jesus. You'll look on the outside here in this room like you have a relationship with Jesus, but in private you're a very, very different person than you are here on a Sunday morning in worship. This kind of person will, will talk a lot about God, but not talk to God himself very much. 
This person will quote scriptures and talk about the Bible, but not actually spend a whole lot of time in God's word, feasting on the word of God. It can be easy to fool people for a while, but I got to tell you, Jesus Christ is no fool. He's not fooled even in the slightest. He's not fooled a little bit by the act that we put on. He sees past our surface actions, and he sees our heart. When I was growing up, I played basketball a lot, and I was a big fan of Kobe Bryant for a while. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I would move my schedule for Kobe Bryant. I would change my schedule around to watch the games that he was playing. But Kobe Bryant never changed me. He changed my schedule, but he never changed me. I mean, I never met the guy. I don't know him at all. He never changed me because I didn't have relationship with him, and relationship is actually what brings change. April has changed me a lot. Jocelyn has changed me. Natalie has changed me. Tessa has changed me. Jillian has changed me. Chris has changed me. Karen has changed me. But Kobe Bryant never changed me because... I have relationship with them, and I, I don't have relationship with Kobe Bryant. And much more than those people that have changed me from relationship, Jesus Christ has changed me. He has changed me so much. I am not who I used to be. Just ask some of those people in my life. They could tell you some stories about me. I, I'm not who I used to be. He has changed me, and he's going to continue to change me because I'm going to continue to stay close to him and let him form me into his image. Relationship brings change, not just proximity. You can't just be around Jesus and expect that you're going to change. You actually have to have a real relationship with him. And the third thing that Jesus does is he exposes their false allegiance. He exposes their false allegiance. This is in John 6.35. It says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The entire rest of the chapter is Jesus just trying to explain this sentence that he said. Jesus trying to break down and help them understand what he said here. Then Jesus becomes even more polarizing, and he says, whoever comes to me will never hunger again, and whoever believes in me will never thirst again. This is Jesus saying, I am all you need. I am the thing you're searching for. If you have me, you have everything. And if you have everything else, but you don't have me, then you have nothing. Now, you got to remember that what's going on in the story here is Jesus is preaching to probably about 15,000 people, experts tell us. There was 5,000 men, the scripture says. So if there was 5,000 men, there was probably another 10,000 women or children here. And this is the turning point in the story. This is the definition of life that Jesus brings that these people just could not accept. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring you bread. I came to be your bread. I didn't come to improve your life. I came to actually be your life. I didn't come to be some kind of little accessory that you keep on the side. I came to be your everything. And to that, the crowd says, nope, not me, not going to do that. 
The crowd of 15,000 people dwindles to just a couple dozen. Remember, the road is narrow that leads to heaven. That big crowd of 15,000, now we're down to a couple dozen. They say, as long as you keep bringing us bread, Jesus, we will literally make you king. But if you want to be our everything, that might just be too much to ask. As soon as Jesus demands allegiance, as soon as he says the thing you're looking for that will actually satisfy you in your life is me and nothing else, as soon as Jesus draws a line in the sand, people start to leave in wave after wave after wave. And this is what they said. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who could possibly accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who could possibly accept it? One of the most surprising things to me, and I should have known this, but I didn't. One of the most surprising things to me as I studied this portion of Scripture this week was I was looking at this Scripture, and this portion of Scripture, and it's in the beginning of John. So I was thinking to myself, like, it's in the beginning of John, like, Jesus' ministry is three years long. It starts when he's 30 years old. They crucify him when he's 33. So I'm looking at this in John chapter 6, and I'm thinking, like, this has got to be, like, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Like the beginning of, beginning of John, the beginning of the, the ministry is kind of what I was thinking. It turns out that is not true at all. The book of John actually mostly covers the third year of Jesus' ministry. And the time that this actually happens is the, the end of his second year of ministry and the beginning of his third year of ministry. So what that means is some of these people had walked with Jesus for two years. Jesus wasn't telling them a message they hadn't heard before. This wasn't like an introductory class to Jesus. Some of these people had been with Jesus for two years, walking with him, listening to him preach, and somehow they still missed him. They wanted Jesus to be their meal ticket. They wanted the Jesus to be their, a politician that would overthrow the corrupt government. They wanted Jesus to be their entertainer. They were around him. They were impassioned by him. They were inspired by him. And somehow they still missed him. Two years of walking with him. And Jesus gives a hard message. And they turn and they walk away. They said, if I can't keep Jesus and keep this stuff that I've kept in my life that temporarily satisfies me, that, gives, that feeds my hunger for just a little bit, if I can't keep that stuff and keep Jesus, then I don't think I'm going to follow him with my life. How many of you would be honest enough this morning to say, you know, I've used some other breads in my life to feed my appetite. I've used some other breads to try and to satisfy me, to try and keep me busy, to try and make me feel better, to try and soothe me. How many people have used some other bread in your life? The thing about every other bread is every other bread will break you. Every other bread will leave you empty. Every other bread will leave you hungry and thirsty. My mom used to tell me when I was a teenager, and she was right, sin will keep you Sin will, I just forgot, I went blank, remind me. Sin will, sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Thank you. And it costs you more than you want to pay. Okay. 
Like, is that not true of every other bread in your life? You get into it, and it seems good at the beginning, but man, does it start to cost you. Man, does it start to tear you down. Every other bread will leave you broken. The wages of sin, as it turns out, are death. Every other bread will break you, except for one bread, except for the bread of life. The bread of life, Jesus himself, is the only bread who has been broken for you. The only bread that would go to the cross, that would lay down his life for us. He's the only bread that will break for you. Every other bread will break you, but the bread of life will break for you. The bread of life, this Jesus, he hung on the cross so that sinners like me and sinners like you could feast on grace. Just like the bread fell from heaven for those people who were in the wilderness headed towards the promised land, Jesus wants to be your bread every day. He will satisfy you every day. He's never going to leave you out there to dry. He's never going to break you. He is the one who comes that actually, truly satisfies so the disciples, the 12, they knew that this was true. They knew that what Jesus was saying was true. Not just because they watched him do a couple miracles, not because they watched him multiply this kid's lunch. They knew it was true because they walked with Jesus. They had a real relationship with him. They talked with him. They sat around the campfire and talked to him. They walked from city to city and talked to him. They laid out under the stars at night and looked up at the sky and they talked to Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, I remember when I hung that one. This was the Jesus that they had, they had lived their life with. They had real Zoe with Jesus. And they knew that what he was saying was true so that when the rest of the crowd turned and walked away, they stayed and said, can we sign our names on the dotted line and say, we'll follow you wherever you go. We'll do whatever you want to do. Our life is yours, Jesus. In John 6, 66, it says, from this time, many of the disciples, meaning many of those 15,000, turned their back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One, God, One of God. We see the difference here between true belief and false belief. False belief, the, the heart of the one who falsely believes is hardened when it hears the Word of God. The heart of the one who truly believes is softened when it hears the word of God. Even when the word of God is something that's hard to hear, the one who truly believes, their heart is softened. And you know, that specific thing is probably happening right now while I'm speaking. Some of your hearts are being softened, softened as you hear the word of God preached and shared. And some of you, your hearts are actually being hardened. You're getting frustrated. You're getting agitated. You're like, what more could Jesus want from me? Like, I'm trying everything I can. You're getting frustrated. And let that be a warning to you if your heart is becoming hardened as you're hearing the word of God this morning. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, anyone who has any other conceivable alternative to Christ 
is not a Christian at all. That is why I am a Christian. I don't see any other possible conceivable alternative. He alone has the words of eternal life. He alone is the bread of life. If I were to leave from this point and walk away from God, where would I go? What would I do? That's basically what Peter says. Like, if I were to turn around and leave from that with them, like, what else would I even do? Where would I even go? What, am I going to go work all week and drink on the weekend? I already tried that. That left me empty. What, am I going to go pursue a career and pursue success? I know that the end of that is empty. I could literally make my life about any other thing. I could make it about my kids. I could make it about my body. I could make it about success. I could make it about money. I could make it about any of those things. And at the end of the day, I'm going to end up just as empty as I am at the beginning. It is only Jesus that will actually satisfy. Jesus is confronting some of you here this morning. And he's saying, I am not willing to be an accessory to your life anymore. I'm not willing to be a convenient addition for what you can get out of it. I have to be your everything or I'm not going to be anything in your life. He wants to be your everything. Are you going to walk away and are you going to say, boy, that was a tough message? Or are you going to be like Peter and you're going to say, where else would I even go? There's no other conceivable option I can come up with. My heart is restless. My heart is restless until it actually rests in Jesus. And yours is too. Our heart was made to rest in Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't command his disciples to leave. He doesn't just say, fine, go away. He asks them a question. And he's asking you that same question this morning. He's saying, are you going to walk away too? Are you going to walk away too? I want to end this morning a little bit different. Um, I want to end by doing something a little bit different than what we normally do. I want to end by leading you in a confession. I want to lead you in confessing your sin this morning. I want to lead you in confessing the sin of having other breads in your life instead of the bread of life. And the way that I want to do that is I want you just to take your hands and I want you to put them together like this. And just close your eyes. And I'm going to lead you in a confession. If there's some other thing that you've been holding in your hands, if there's some other bread that you've been using to satisfy you, as I walk through some of these confessions, I just want you to take that bread and just offer it to God and say, God, I don't want this bread anymore. I want the real thing. We're just going to take a second before I walk through a couple of these confessions and just ask the Lord, Lord, what is the bread that I've been feasting on instead of you? What's the thing that I've been running to? Maybe you know right off the bat, like there's no doubt what that bread is for you. Maybe you have other bread in your life and you don't even know it. You're blind to it. You feel like your life is the Lord's, but like that crowd of 15 people that were jumping up and down in worship and were putting their money in the offering plate, and they were excited to be a part of the family of God when Jesus drew the line in the sand and he said, I have to be your everything. They walked away and said, no, I can't do that. That's asking too much. 
If your bread is a relationship, would you just confess that to him? Say, God, I have used this person as a substitute. They're not you. They aren't the bread of life. God, will you take this imitation and give me yourself? Give me the real thing. If your bread is some substance, if it's a drug or a drink or food, would you confess that today and say, God, this has been my bread and it has left me empty and thirsty and dry. Say, God, you can have this thing that I've been using. I want the bread of life. If your bread is the approval of others, would you confess that the compliments are fleeting and the criticism is crippling? And as a sign of surrender, would you open your hands and say, God, I offer this to you. Say, I don't need a thousand empty words from someone else. I need your words. If your bread is empty religion with no real relationship with God, would you confess to him today that who you are in the crowd is not who you are in secret? Say, God, I want to know you. I want you to take this morning whatever that other bread is that you've been using and just offer it to God. If I didn't mention it today in these confessions, just confess to him. Say, God, this is been the bread that I've been feasting on. It's left me hungry and thirsty. I've been looking for a bios solution to my Zoe problem. Those things never satisfy. I want the real thing that truly satisfies. God, would you come this morning as the bread of life? And would you feed your people? God, we want the real thing. We don't want these other lovers that lead to us being broken, that lead to our bodies being broken, that lead to relationships being broken, that lead to us just being a disaster. We want the real thing. God, we don't want to come and just go through the motions of religion and Christianity for the benefits that we receive and miss the Christ that's at the center. We don't want to be here on Sunday mornings and never drink. God, would you be the bread of life for us? God's speaking to us this morning and he's saying, I am the bread of life, the only bread that will break for you, break for your freedom, that will break for your healing, 
It will break for your forgiveness. God, like Peter, we come and we say, there's no other conceivable option. Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? What else could I make my life about that's actually going to satisfy? It's only you, God. So we come and we present ourselves to you. And we repent for the sin of chasing other lovers that have left us broken and left us empty. Lord, I ask you to, to bless each one who's here this morning. Lord, I ask you to do a work in us. Lord, for anyone who's heard the word of God preached this morning and their heart hardened under those words, Lord, I ask you to take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I ask you to bless each one who's here this morning, God. Lord, I ask that as they leave this place, they wouldn't leave and shut the door on you, but they would leave and they would take you with them. At every moment, every second of our day, we would be looking for connection with you, not chasing other things to satisfy that never do. I ask you to bless each one as they go from this place today. In your name I pray, amen. If you need some more time with the Lord, I'm just going to open the altar. And if you need some time with him, that's totally fine. You can come up and just spend some time there. And I just ask you to take your conversations to the foyer if you're on your way out and have a blessed week. We love you guys.